Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Tonight, I want to be able to unpack some things out of the Word of God, uh, in particular out of John chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, go to John chapter 8. I want to talk about somebody that we really don't give enough credit to, someone that we don't have, uh, we don't give enough conversation about. And his name is Satan. Um, uh, Before, he was called Lucifer. And interestingly enough, in Ezekiel 28, we get imagery of who he is and who he was. Uh, The Bible says in Ezekiel 28 that he said of himself that his heart, that he he was beautiful. uh, The Bible says his heart became proud. You see, Satan was an angel in heaven. He was one of the most beautiful angels, um, and the the angels themselves, they are structured with seraphim and cherubim. He was the highest angel, the most beautiful, but he started feeling himself. The Bible says he was able to see his own beauty. In addition to that, and you have to understand that the angel's job is just to give God glory and praise. And so while giving God glory and praise, there was something about God's ranking, his ability to be higher than Satan that disturbed Satan. And so eventually we hear in Isaiah 14, he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll make myself like the most high. So basically what you end up having is a picture of an angel that gets proud an angel that was beautiful, an angel that had all the intention of giving God honor, worship, and glory, but then started to reflect on how they looked and really got disturbed by God's attention and God's glory. And so the Bible says in Revelation 12 that the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And this is where we get this imagery of not only Satan on earth, but also demons. So we we see that as we put this together, Satan's name means adversary. The devil essentially means slanderer. And between him and his co-workers, which would be the demonic world, We have a organized, militarized, strategic way in which there is a desire to oppose everything that is of God and from God. The reality is is that Satan is the major influence of ideals and opinions and goals and hopes of anything and anyone that would submit themselves to God. He is in rebellion against God and he has been from the beginning. And so as we look at the portrait of this Satan, something that we don't tend to realize is that Satan has kids. One of the ways that the Bible postures this leadership isn't just as a militarized way, but as a father in Ephesians 2.2, it says the following, they have been following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. And so the scriptures tell us is that 
disobedience from God is not only Satan's desire, it's not only his job, but he parents people away from God. But the thing that we have to understand in John chapter eight is that Jesus is gonna come against some of the highest religious people and tell them that based upon the things he sees and based upon their posture, he acknowledges to them that actually your father is the devil. And these are the most religious people. So what you have to understand is Satan not only has kids, Satan kids come to church. You see, the reality is, and this is what you have to, you, you have to realize this, from the book of James, the book of James, right? The book of James says this, and it, it tells us something very powerful. James chapter three, verse 13, this is what he says. Who is wise and understanding among you? This is what James wants you to do. He wants you to be in the midst of a Bible study. He wants you to be in the midst of a room where everybody is giving great insights and there's that person that's giving profound thoughts and there's somebody over here that everybody listens to and there's another person over there. It looks like they have their life together. And he says to you, he wants you to say to yourself, who do I think is wise? Who do I think has understanding? And then what James wants you to do is look deeper. He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now, look, he wants you the magnifying glass to get uh, stronger for, in verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle. The wisdom from down below is jealous and ambitious. And he's saying these jealous, selfish, ambitious, platforming people can be in the church and at the same time be gifted. You see, what, what, what we understand from our un, the portrait we have of Satan is that Satan was the most beautiful angel and yet became ungodly. So far be it from us to believe if an angel the highest angel who is intended for praise can be ungodly, then we must understand that God's people can sometimes come across like they're God's people, but they really have another parent and they are as ungodly as can be. You can be gifted and ungodly at the same time. The other what, what, what uh, Jesus digs at in this text in John 8 is he, he hits at this idea of traditionalism because these people were from the lineage of Abraham. They, were, they kept all the religious practices of the Jews. And so we have to understand that that's the other counterfeit. It's not just giftedness, but it is traditional family lineage. It is saying my mama is a deaconess and my daddy is a pastor and my cousin and I grew up in the church. All of that kind of spiritual traditionalism gets you under the assumption that just because you are around God's people, you are one of God's people. 
And the reality is, is that you can be a Christian traditionally, but not spiritually. And so the fact of the matter is, Jesus' primary approach in this text is to not get caught up in your lineage or your gifting, but it is just, how do you look? Just let me look at your life. How do you look? I cannot tell. Just let me look at your life. How do you look? I, I understand what you've been doing in the past. I understand all your resume. How do you look? I was uh, hanging out with the dating crew this week, the singles, and uh, they were, um, we were giving them some advice. And, uh, I, I, and I don't know if I can give you any dating advice with apps. And I know I can't give you that because I have no idea what's going on with that. But, but one thing I do know is if you really want to get to know someone, you need to get to know their character. And if you really want to get to know their character, you need to see who they are in their family. Not just in their friends, like their family. Like what do they look like in their family? I mean, if you imagine that uh, you were getting to know someone and they, you know, let's say you got to know a six, eight foot dark skinned dude and he points you to a picture of his family and he points to somebody and he says, that's my daddy. And that person is a five foot two German looking man with blonde hair. And you say, man, um, that's your dad. Wow. Interesting. Um, y'all, uh, excuse me, y'all don't look alike, right? Well, no, I'm offended. That's my dad. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm, not, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not telling you who your father isn't. I'm just saying that if that man has kids, you don't look like one of them. That's what this text is about. It's not about getting caught up in lineage and resume and gifting. It's saying God has kids and they look a certain way. And so does the devil. John 8 Jesus is in this contentious conversation. He says, I know that you are of the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because of my words. Listen, 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 listen. My words find no place in you. We're going to get back to that. My words find no place in you. I know, listen, I know that you are of the offspring of Abraham. He didn't even contend that. He didn't even say they weren't Jewish. He didn't say they weren't religious. He didn't say they didn't grow up around the traditions and the practices. He says, I get all that. I get your resume. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. I know you're of the offspring of Abraham. That's not what I'm talking about. He says, but here's the fact. You seek to kill me because my words don't find a place in you. I speak of what uh, I've seen uh, from my father and you do what you have heard from your father. And so he's saying that the character of a man or a woman reveals their true identity and he seeks a deeper topic. And that is, how do you relate to the word of God? How does it find its place in you? And so this tension that he has with the Jews is how he is received and how his words are received. They clap back, John 8, 39. Um, Abraham is our father. Now they're offended. How are you going to say we, I mean, we've been no, I grew up in a house. I mean, my mom, my dad, I, I've been in temple since I was a baby. I was circumcised on eight day. They have all these practices. They are offended because Jesus would dare question their identity spiritually. Well, further down, John 8, 39, Jesus said to them, well, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. 
You are doing the works your father did. And here Abraham is being postured not just as the father of a religion or a father of an ethnicity, but a father of faith. Abraham is the one who trusted in God. And it was in that trust that he was being able to give a vision of the future of what the people would look like coming from him, the people of Israel. He says, that's the work, the work of trusting. That's what Abraham did. The ancestry and the tradition is where they got diluted in their understanding of being able to see Jesus and see who he is in their life. It's their religiosity that took them away. But not only their religiosity, but they are contending about the works that they are doing. And he's saying, no, Abraham did a greater work. He had a work of faith. Not just a work of tradition, not just a work of practices, not just being faithful. We have to take seriously the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter seven, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many, on that day, many, on that day, many will say to me, they'll look at me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Do you see that? Do you hear? Can we just pause and reflect on the depth of what Jesus just told them that there is gonna come a day of judgment that people are gonna be walking up to the Bema seat, the judgment seat, and they're gonna have the perspective, it's all good. I'm gonna get in the club. I got the right ID and only realize they have fake ID and realizing that you're not gonna get in. Because the fake idea of spirituality is tradition and religiosity and giftedness. See, that's the part we don't get. He says, I prophesied in your name. I told somebody that they, they were gonna get $10,000, amen? And then all of a sudden they got it and now they're blessed and highly favored. I told them that. I got a little thing in my heart and I, I felt like it was from the Lord. And people think they have a spiritual life because they have spiritual feelings. There is a Holy Ghost and there is an unholy ghost. Just because you have spiritual feelings does not mean you're a spiritual person. And I'm being kind to you by telling you today before that day. He says, on that day. They're going to find out on that day. And what Jesus says is, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now you look, workers of lawlessness. They were gifted yet lawless. Don't, 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 don't think that you, just because someone is religious and gifted means that they submit to the law and the word of God. So Jesus is being kind to them to try to tell them before that day, he says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here and I cannot, I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. He says, why do you not understand what I say? Why don't you love me? He says, it's because you cannot bear to hear my word. And Jesus is speaking to the fact that the proud heart struggles with the word of God, not knowledge of the word, but struggles with the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. 
They struggle with the transform, transformative work that God wants to do in their life. They cannot bear to hear my word. And Jesus is in this crowd and he's just saying to them flat out, you can't take the things I say. It bothers you. Doesn't it? it bothers you. Is this, you getting tight? See, if conviction makes you upset but doesn't cause transformation, there's a good chance you like the way you live. You don't want to change. It bothers you. Yeah, you know, Jesus is like, this bother you? Yeah, see, see what I'm saying? You not one of my, you don't know me. You don't know the Lord, right? So that's a tension here. So he hits this again. Could I just pause and say, Jesus is being stingingly honest, yet his honesty comes from a place of compassion. He's trying to tell them about themselves, not really tell them about themselves, if you know what I mean. He's trying to get them aware. You actually think you're following God. And if you followed God, you would love me. You, he says, John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. What does their father desire? Satan is not opposed to you, Christian. He's opposed to God. You just happen to be in the way. You see, when you become interested in God, Satan becomes interested in you. You see, and so your desire to know God more and you in ministry, you prayer warrior, you want to do more for God. I just want to be everything God wants me to be. You, you now are on Satan's radar because anyone that wants to glorify God, anybody that wants to glorify themselves, Satan's like, good, good, keep doing that. But anybody that wants to glorify God, see, Satan's job, his desire he wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't sitting up all night thinking about Adam and Eve. He's thinking about Adam and Eve fulfilling the word of God. He is opposed to the plans of God and anyone who wants to fulfill the plans of God, you now will have a target on your back. His desire is to thwart all of God's plans, to take out prophets, to take out leaders, to take out Job, to take out Cain, to take out Abel, all throughout the Old Testament, he is fighting against God's plan. And so what Jesus says here is telling. Tonight, some of you, as you listen in, you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've given your life to him and you have called him Lord. You follow him and your life has changed but you struggle with your flesh. You struggle to live your life according to God's ways. But others of you have fallen in love with church. And your love for church is because you love the kindness of the people. You like Mark's songs. You think I'm cool. I don't know. But something about our environment is attractive to you. But one of the indicators 
of that true attraction to Jesus is when Jesus speaks through his word, you listen, you change, you hunger for that change. And this is why when Jesus is now unpacking this portrait of Satan, he's not just coming against these leaders. He's saying, do you understand? He's a liar. And he says, he speaks out of his character for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. So Jesus has said that Satan is the father of two things. He's looking at them, he's like, he's your daddy and he's the father of lies. Your father is the father of lies. Now they're offended. And I wanna be compassionate to you, believer, on this. Facebook Live. Some of you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you look like you have another father. Well, I, I ain't no father of lies. Well, no, no, I'm sorry. You ever know somebody that can really lie well? I know you don't, but just pretend you can, amen? You know somebody that lies real well? Um, anybody that lies well never tells the lie flat out. They pack it with a whole lot of truth, and they just put a few ingredients of the lie to get the lie in there well. You see, Satan is not just the father of lies. He's the father of assumptions. He's the father of misrepresentation. He's the father of white lies and big lies. He's the father of exaggeration. He's the father of defamation of character. He's the father of slander. He's the father of distortion and the father of fabrication. He's the father of, oh, just a little bit. He's the father of no one else will know. He's the father of silence when you can speak up and he's the father of no one can tell me what to do. He's the father of just let me say this to get out of this situation. He's the father I gotta do my own thing. He's the father of only just once. He is the father of doing what you want when it is against the will of God. Oh, I've, I sing on the worship team. I've been faithful. Yeah, but you, you see, Satan is the father of lies, meaning he invented the language of lying. Lying is his native tongue. And you may know God, but you still got an accent of lying. You sound like you have another father. When you misrepresent people, when you gossip, when you slander, you sound like you have another father when you're always contentious, always jealous, always envious. You sound like you have another father. I know you've got a great spiritual resume, but you sound like you have another father. And here he creates this tension. And so what Jesus does earlier in this chapter, so helpful for us, He paints a picture of what a true believer looks like. And he's already told us that these very religious people don't actually know God. But he says earlier in John, he said in verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, who had been following him, if you, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Far too often when that verse is quoted, 
We only get to the last part. The truth will set you free. And the presumption of it is that if you have knowledge, you have freedom. And the Bible does not say the truth will set you free. The Bible says if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. And then once you know the truth, then you'll have freedom. And the problem isn't people's knowledge of the word. The problem is the abiding in it. The holding to the truth. Do you hold to the truth? Do you abide in his word? You see, abiding, when, when someone invites you over to their house, it says, welcome to my humble abode. When, you, when, when the word is your home, that means that you come around the word and it not only convicts you, but you make sure that your life is changing based upon the word. You abide in the truth. And it's uncomfortable and it's frustrating, but the truth sets you free. And so you have to understand what true freedom is. You can do what you want or you can do what you ought. When you moved out your mama's house, you realize that, right? Like you're like, I ain't gotta wake up today. <laughs> do what I want, right? But then there's do what I ought. I know what I should do. I knew what I wanna do. And, we, and, the, and the culture has painted this picture that freedom is doing what you, whatever you wanna do. And you've learned in life that don't work. You've already found that out. You, you already figured out, you tried stuff on your own and you bumped up against your head and all of a sudden you realize, well, let me go get some wisdom. Let me go talk to some people because doing what you want cannot be the center of truth. But the world tells you that. It tells you to find your truth, find your center, center yourself, get by yourself, know what you want, do what you want. And that is the essence of freedom in our culture and our country. And so the way that you now see this text is you can do what you want or you can do what God wants for you. Doing what God wants for you is true freedom. Abiding in his word is true freedom. Knowing what God wants for you. Digging into the text. And we dealt with this two weeks ago. We asked you to question do you four days out of the week for about 15 minutes a day, do you get into his word? Just four days out of the week, about 15 minutes a day, do you get into his word? Does the word make you uncomfortable? Is it changing you? Is it challenging you? Is it transforming you? Because the more that you are allowing the word of God to set the course of your life, the more freedom that you will experience. And so tonight, I, this text is somewhat of a warning for the person that has been following the things of Jesus and even the words of Jesus, but you don't follow Jesus. You've been following the people of Jesus, the songs of Jesus, but you don't follow Jesus. You've been following all types of things that come around Jesus, but not Jesus himself. And to follow Jesus is to abide in his word. That's what he just said. He says, you don't like me because you don't like what I have to say to you. And when I say it to you, it hurts you. And listen, when you want what God wants, you understand his hurt is healing. His hurt is the best thing for you. His conviction and his correction blesses my life. And until you get to that place, 
you need to ask yourself, who's your father? I'm sorry, who's your leader? Yourself, what you want, or what he wants? That's the true indicator of who's leading your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask for those tonight that our culture pushes platform, our culture pushes gifting, our culture pushes what we want, our culture is only satisfied in getting the things that our dreams are made of. God, would you transfer our trust to what you want? Will we experience the freedom that comes in what you want? God, I pray for those tonight that as they heard, they thought about their attitudes. They thought about how they come across. They thought about the things they said just the other day. For others, they they thought about the fact that the word of God is not doing a work in them. But maybe tonight there's someone that you're thought of that as I was preaching, you thought, I, I think my sister knows about God, but I don't know if she knows God because at core, I see she just does what she wants. And maybe we need to walk like the Jesus figure walked and love somebody enough to tell them before they get to that day. I don't know if you know him and I want you to. I don't know if you're experiencing true freedom, but I want you to. I want you to experience true freedom. Oh, his word is true freedom. I want you to bask in true freedom and abide in true freedom. And tonight, would you empower the saints? Would you encourage the saints? Unleash the saints to be an army and a witness to tell the world there's another father out there who has a word for their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.